I did look for postings this week, and I didn't see one. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity. Um, We ended last week uh, with just the encouragement that all of us need to be making discoveries about the kingdom of God. That once we make a discovery about the kingdom of God, then we want, to, we want to post that. We want to get the word out. And so my encouragement was, you know, make a little bit of a discovery, then post it on the internet so others could, could read what you've discovered. So I didn't, did somebody do that? I just missed it. And if you did that and you just haven't had time to post it or you're embarrassed to post it, anybody make a new discovery about the kingdom this week, this past week? Nathaniel, tell us. Okay, it could be, I don't want to be long-winded. You're going to be long-winded, okay. Well, I, I don't know, but uh, I guess... Well, why don't you, since you're going to be long-winded, just come I don't know up. if I'm going to be long-winded. I don't know what I'm going to say. You're putting me on the spot. Um, if for our Tuesday night, we just were talking this last week, we're reading Acts there as well, so we were talking about Pentecost, and one of the things that we were talking about was um, Pentecost being like in the Jewish festival is like like you said first fruit a second ago it's the first fruit so like the idea in like so pentecost is you would go and you bring the first fruits of the harvest you're going to have also it was the time like celebrated you have passover 50 days later in jewish history is when they get to mount sinai so moses goes up the mountain and then comes back down to the ten commandments pentecost with the christians jesus has just ascended 50 days or 40 days later the holy spirit comes down so it's like that whole idea of the kingdom of God being this new new life through the Holy Spirit, I guess. Um, like a new beginning, new, I don't know, new life, whatever. That's, that's, that's it, basically. That's, that's good news, isn't that good news? That's great news. So I would encourage you, you know, keep telling us about that stuff. Keep, and, you know, post it. Take, it, take advantage of Facebook. Facebook is a way to, to pass the word to thousands of people. We ought to spend our time posting positive things that contribute to the well-being of humanity. Things about the kingdom will always do that. So any insights you get, put them out there. Good. Anybody else? All right, Noel. So uh, Kate and I took a little baby moon. Baby moon, all right. Pre-baby, pre so post-baby. Okay. That's how that works, I think. And we went to New Orleans, and it was awesome. Um, it's funny because uh, a lot of people, I, I don't know if anyone here thinks that, but I think a lot of people in Texas and maybe other parts, um, when they kind of think of New Orleans, they kind of think of, like, dirty, dangerous, like, you know, lewd, crude stuff happening at all hours of the day. Um, and, and, and so a lot of people kind of, you know, warned us about that, and we were like, oh, really? Like, we picked to go to New Orleans? And um, instead, what we found, uh, not that I believed it, but um, I was kind of looking for opportunities to be like, ah, see, I told you it wasn't like that. And instead, what I found was that um, we actually stayed in a neighborhood called Treme District, which is the oldest African-American, free African-American neighborhood in the country. Um, and, uh, and so it's been around since, like, the early, early 1800s. Um, and so um, we stayed in, in, the, in a neighborhood that was, I mean, primary, probably 98% African-American. Um, and it could have, you know, maybe to a lot of people, it could have felt, like, dark or scary. To me, it was really, really cool because I saw, um, 
there's a lot of people of other ethnicities as well who have moved into this neighborhood, uh, not really for the purpose of gentrifying it and kicking everyone out, but instead to just be good neighbors um, to, to um, this historically underserved population and, and a neighborhood that got really hit really, really hard by Katrina. And so um, I saw, and Kate saw, in, in our time in New Orleans, um, a lot of really, really great interactions between class, race, um, creed, and it, it reminded me of what the kingdom of God would be like in its, in its entirety, um, that there's going to be no more preconceived notions or worries or scares about someone that looks different from you, but instead there will be kind of this common uh, bond of Christ, um, and, and diversity is going to be totally celebrated in its fullness in the kingdom. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe, all together. You know, it's funny, when you get to heaven, you're going to be really surprised with people who are there and people who aren't there. It's kind of what people always say. And so I'm excited for to see what um, what true kind of human interaction and diversity looks like whenever heaven is here in, in its fullness. And, uh, and in a place as seemingly lewd as New Orleans, I kind of got a little bit of taste of that, and it was really beautiful. Great. Where sin abounds... Christ always abounds more. How do, again, how do we miss that? So thank you. That's great. Those are great. Could you like post that? Like share that word. Sure. You did. That's great. You did. That's shit. Now do it. Do more broadcast. This is stuff we got to get out there. This is great stuff. Well, last week we were looking at the kingdom arriving in Ephesus, and this this week we're going to look at the kingdom message, and it's a message that is increasing. And prevailing. N.T. Wright uh, writes about this section in Acts 19 in this way. It's the question of power. The question of power. How to get things done. Is at the heart of a great many of today's debates. There are regular alternatives to how to get things done. At one end of the scale, you have a societies where the rulers simply decree what's going to happen, and if people kick up a fuss, they send in the tanks or the bulldozers. Simple and costly. At the other end, you have societies where there is so much discussion, so much referendum voting, so much lobbying in the newspapers and the media that people drown in a sea of words and paper and the real things that perhaps ought to happen are lost in the fog of multiple compromises. And in the middle, many people are uncomfortably aware that the question of political power, how to order, steer, or change the way a society functions, is only one aspect of a much larger and more nebulous question, how to transform people's lives. Society is not transformed until people's lives are transformed. Political powers don't transform people's lives. So all the effort sometimes that we put into hoping that our society is going to change through the politics of our day is again spitting in the wind. The only thing that transforms people then transforms society is this message that was delivered in Ephesus. It is a message of power. 
the power to transform lives. Ephesus, I would remind you, is a city of 300,000 people at this time. It's not a little dot on the map. It's the fourth largest city around the Mediterranean basin at the time. Up to this point, the message of power has reached Antioch, Alexandria, now Ephesus, and what's, on the, what's coming is Rome, which is the largest city around that Mediterranean. And the message of power, the summary statement, Ephesus is the city where the word, the message grew, and it won out. The message grew, and it won out. The power of the message increased, transforming people, and it won out over every other power in Ephesus. So in what way? I mean, you've got to ask some questions. Well, in what way did it grow? And how did it win out? What do you mean Wait, it won out? What, how did it win out? And then what, the biggest question is, is what, I mean, what ignited this extraordinary season in Ephesus where the message was so powerful? Well, the message grew. Luke tells us step by step as he's recounting the history, he kind of gives progress reports. And if you want to look at Acts 6, 7, 12, 24, and now 19, 20, there's these points in the story where he's just going to say, here's, here's how the progress is going. Right here, the message grew because it successfully attracted more and more followers of Jesus. And those people that began to follow Jesus were a combination of people from Jewish background and Greek background. And the more and more people that began to follow Jesus were more and more lives that were transformed. And as lives are being transformed, the city of Ephesus is actually going to be transformed. The message prevailed. Last week we talked about that, that Paul, I mean, he continued for his two years in Ephesus, he continued to be bivocational. And so he'd work as a leather worker, tent maker in the mornings. At 11 o'clock, he'd go to the school of Tyrannus and he would teach on the kingdom of God. And he would do that from 11 to wherever they end. I don't know that the, kind of the break there for siesta. But what, we, what we're, what, I mean, it's just, God worked through Paul's hands. God worked through the hands of a human being, just like you and me. And the sick were healed, and those that were oppressed by demons were set free. The demons left because Paul was allowing God to use him. And even there's this extraordinary way that God used him where even the sweat rags that he used in his shop and the aprons that he wore when he was a leather maker, even those things, I don't know if he left them at the shop or if he, like he had to finish up an order and run over to the school of Tyrannus and he laid them down, but somehow somebody brushed one of those against a sick person and the person was healed. Somebody brushed his apron against somebody that was demon-possessed and the demon left. That's extraordinary. The power of the message winning out over sickness, winning out over demonic powers. And then this morning we're going to read about it winning out over Jewish exorcists. So there were, within Judaism, 
those that were very well aware of the spiritual world and they were very they they were concerned about people that were demonized in bondage but rather than depending upon the power of god they depended upon secret rites really it's it's a form of magic and it was a religious magic and we're going to we're going to we're going to find out that didn't work we're going to read that story in a minute and then we're going to discover that when that didn't work, then there was this, like, this great respect for Jesus that came upon the whole city of Ephesus. And then all of a sudden, people that practiced, practiced Greek magic began to realize this doesn't work either. And they began to burn their magic books in the public square. Now, there's a real big difference between me deciding to burn my books and you telling me to burn my books. So don't twist this story around. (laughs) These are people that were involved in pagan ritual, secret rites, pagan magic, who discovered the power of the message of Jesus and said, "We, we need to get rid of this stuff. And they, by their own choice, took it and burned it. That's the way the message is prevailing in great respect, great fear, great awe for the message came over all who lived in Ephesus, a city of 300,000 people. All sin. Wow, something has fallen upon our city of great power. Lives transformed. Here's the story. Acts 19, 12 through 20. God gave most unusual demonstrations of power through Paul's hands. So much so that people took to the sick any of his sweat rags and work aprons, which had been in contact with his body, and they were cured of their diseases and their evil spirits left them. The dynamics of that are, I think, twofold. One, there's so many people coming that Paul and others that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's not enough hands on deck to lay on the, on the sick. There's so many people coming. I think another part of it is, I think maybe for Paul's sake, I mean, I think Paul at times was really frustrated. You know, Jesus, I'm still working as a leather maker. There's so many people coming. I still have to work. At the, I, and I think there's some way that Jesus said, you know, every, everything you do, Paul, counts for my kingdom. So even the sweat rags that you're leaving around when those touch somebody and they're healed or a demon leaves, that counts too. So just Jesus encouraging his messengers, this word of power is getting out. And thousands and thousands of people. And the word got out, so much so that there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who attempted to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus when dealing with those who had evil spirits. So they've they've witnessed uh, demons being commanded to leave in the name of Jesus by Paul, or someone else that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they said, oh, well, that worked, that spirit left. Well, why don't, we, why don't we just put that in our bag of tricks, see if it works for us. So they would say, I command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. There were seven brothers, sons of a chief priest called Sceva, and they were engaged in this practice on one occasion when the evil spirit within a human being, a man, said, Jesus I know... And I'm acquainted with Paul, but who on the earth are you? 
And the man in whom the evil spirit was living sprang at seven of them. This is seven against one. The one overpowered all seven with such violence that they rushed out of that house wounded, traumatized is the Greek verb, and they were naked. See, Jesus' name is not magic. If you don't have the authorization to use the name of Jesus, it's good for you not to use it because it can really bite you. And they learned that lesson. And I would say, these seven said, the power of Jesus is greater than any Jewish magic that we know. And they learned a hard lesson. This incident became known to all the Jews and Greeks who were living in Ephesus and a great sense of awe. There is a God. And that God is present. And that God is powerful. Came over all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus became highly respected. And then many of those who had professed their faith began to openly admit their former, their former practices of magic. A number of those who had previously practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. They estimated the value of these books and found it to be no less than 5,000 pounds. In this way, in this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow irresistibly in power and influence. As I said when we began, the biggest question is how do extraordinary things like this happen? And it's because of one phrase that I would guide us towards this. It's the result of the rule of the Lord. In this season, in Ephesus, when Paul and those following Jesus prayed, let your rule come to earth, it came. And because Jesus was powerfully ruling, this is what happened. The power and the sovereignty of his rule on the earth are the reason for the growth and the prevailing of the message which transformed lives. It's, there's just a phrase there. In accordance with the rule of the Lord. In accordance with the rule of the King of Heaven. That becomes the norm. That becomes the reason. Because of his rule in Ephesus at that time on the earth, the result was more and more people came to know Jesus. More and more people's lives were transformed. And the power of God overcame every other power that influenced life in the city of Ephesus. He spoke his message through his followers. It transformed those that spoke out the message and it, and it transformed those that listened. 
He did his work through the hands of those that were following it transformed. Can you imagine what it was like? How does it transform us when God is working through us to do what we know we could never do? I don't have any ability to heal the sick. I don't have any ability in and of myself to set anything free. That's not me. But if God chooses to do that, I mean, how does that transform us? When he, when he works that way through us. So he does his work through the hands of his followers, transforming what they do and what is done to, for others. So when that all rolls into our community, when that all rolls into our day, one of the mistakes I think that we can make is, one, not to acknowledge that... This was a very extraordinary season in Ephesus. But it doesn't mean that's the only time it ever happened in human history or will ever happen. So it, it really is to our benefit. To, well, How did it happen then? Because it sure would be great if it happened today. What I would say to us, and I don't want to be misunderstood by saying this, But Jesus wants our mouth and he wants our hands. It just comes down to that. Now, our mouth and our hands are part of us. So what I'm really saying is Jesus, as our king, he wants all of us, all of us. All of us, all of us. he's, He's not just looking for the next Paul. He never just looked for the next Paul. He always looked for a team of people. Now, Paul was the team leader. But he's looking for a community of people that say, all of us, all of us. Empower the message through our speech. He he wants to communicate his transforming message, his message through our ability to speak. I mean, that, again, when you, when you kind of put tongues within the context of this, those that spoke in tongues, they're doing that because they're delivering the message effectively. He wants us to speak his message empowered by the Holy Spirit. He also wants to do his transforming work through our hands. He want, I mean, no doubt about it, he wants his message to increase and prevail in our city and in our generation. He doesn't want us just biding our time, twiddling our thumbs, talking about how fearful we are about all the other powers and how powerless we are. I mean, what in the world is that? He doesn't want us putting all of our eggs in the political basket, thinking, well, if we just elect the right people, then everything's going to transform. It's not. Never has, never will. It's his message through our mouths and our hands that transform us and transform the people around us and will ultimately transform our world. So I've got to ask us, can we give him all of us, all of us? I mean, are we willing to risk it? Are we willing, okay, Jesus, 
We want you to be right here, right with us, enthroned in our midst. We want you to be our king. We want to worship you, but beyond that, we want to do what you want to do through us. We want to do what you want to do through us. Can you, can you repeat that with me? We want to do what you want to do through us. Can we say it one more time? We want to do what you want to do through us. See, it's not us deciding what we need to do and asking Jesus to bless us in doing it. Do you get that? Now, our, our intentions are well and our intentions are good. We, we, we kind of decide. We think this is really good and some of that stuff is good and God's grace and mercy abounds. But it is not we want to do what you want to do through us. It's not the same. And with everything that is within me, my kingdom discovery is when his will is done on the earth, it's because a community of people have said, We want you to do through us what you want. And we're going to take whatever time we need to listen to what you're saying to us, realizing that what you say to us is probably going to be beyond our ability to do it, so therefore we're going to become more dependent upon each other and upon the Holy Spirit, that you would inspire and empower us to do what you want us to do. Now, two of those things... I believe, are right here. I believe he wants us to deliver his message with our mouth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to our city. And I believe he wants to empower our hands to do what he wants to do with the sick and the demon-possessed. We have to be willing to say, Lord, here I am. Lord, here we are. Do with us what you want to do so that the message of power, it's a message of power, results in more and more people following Jesus from the cities that we live in. And every power is defeated. By the power of God. Every influence that is drawing people away from Jesus is done. So can we stand together? I would like to give anybody that would like the opportunity just to basically say, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, here's my mouth. Jesus, here's my hands. Do with me what you want to do. 
You know, maybe a few of us would like to say that sort of prayer within our community of people. So I just want to give you the opportunity to say that if you would like to.
Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. And Lord, as I kind of say the amen on our prayers, what, what my prayer and my hope is, is that your word, your, your word of power would increase. Let the word of your power increase in our lives and in our cities. Lord, I ask that as you empower us, as you transform us, that, Lord, the message of your kingdom would come out with the result that more and more people begin to follow with us our king. Lord, I ask that as the message of your power transforms us, is worked out in the, the works of our hands that, O oh Lord, you would win out all of, over every, every other influence that is drawing people away from you. And I pray, O oh Lord, just as, as great fear fell over the city of Ephesus in the first century, I would pray that a community empowered by you to deliver your message in both word and deed, would result in great respect falling upon New Braunfels and San Antonio and, and Seguin and San Marcos at the name of Jesus. Or we ask that this extraordinary thing that happened in Ephesus would happen in our day, in us and through us, And it really is to your glory and for the benefit of others that I pray this. Amen.